Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. My name is Dr. Mitch Ablett. For for people that I have not met, uh, I know my daughter's on here watching, so I've definitely met her. Um, but I'm I'm very I'm very excited to be uh, doing this uh, this talk tonight with a, a good friend and uh, someone I consider to be uh, a mentor of mine, Dr. Chris Germer. Uh, so, Chris, thank you for for joining me. Thanks for asking me. I'm delighted. Yes. Um, so. So uh, just a, a quick snippet about me. I'm obviously the author of this book. Uh, people that are uh, coming have some degree of interest in my work. Um, this book is a parenting book that really looks to, to bring in mindfulness in a way that may have not been you know, you know, seen by folks in other uh, parenting books. Uh, but tonight we're gonna, we're gonna chat about not just the book, but some some themes that are important for parents, for educators, uh, for anyone that's in a role of taking care of kids um, in these really troubling times that we're, we're all facing. But let me, let me say a, a few words about, about Chris. Um, you know, Chris and I met, uh, I would say, uh, you know, over our hand, you know, like eight or nine years ago at this point, maybe more. Mm -hmm. And Chris is the, uh, he's a clinical psychologist and he is uh, a lecturer at Harvard Medical School, and he is the co-founder with psych uh, psychologist and researcher Kristen Neff of the Mindful Self-Compassion Program that has just grown and grown over the years. And I think from uh, what I saw on your website recently, Chris, you know, are, over 100,000 people have been trained in MSC over, over the years at this point. Um, he's the author of multiple books, including uh, uh, The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, and then The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, which he co-authored with, uh, with Kristen Neff. Um, and where he and I met was uh, when I very anxiously attended a, because I hate mixers, I've always had a hard time feeling comfortable showing up at like uh, mixer kind of events. And uh, yet I saw this group that I really wanted to go check out, you know, the Institute for Meditation and, and Psychotherapy. So I, you know, I rolled up on that particular Saturday for an event, didn't know anybody there, didn't, hadn't met Chris yet, and went inside and was warmly welcomed by him and by others and became uh, a part of this group that had been so important to me. And from a very early time, Chris, you were uh very not just supportive of me and my work but you you've been consistently prizing of me and prizing of my prizing work um so it's, it's meant a great deal to me um so that's a few words about you thank you thank you well it sure has been easy to prize you and your work mitch i i i really enjoyed uh reading your new book you know you you mentioned that you know this is a new angle on mindfulness, and it, it certainly is, uh, particularly in relationship to um, parenting, but 
I think it's also really deceptively um, spot on and simple, uh, practical. Uh, so what I really loved about your book is it's something that people can do uh, almost immediately with their uh, children. And, and also to me, it, it appears that prizing underlies and supports all other parenting skills. It seems mm -hmm. to be like the skill that enables all other skills. So if I were to stack up all the parenting books that I know, in order that they should be read, I would begin <laughs> with yours. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you so much. So I think you, you, you really have your finger on something profound, essential, uh, profound, essential, and also really uh, practical. That said, um, uh, I think it would be really helpful for the people on this call to hear from you. What is prize? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I get, asked, I get asked that a lot. Um, and, you know, and I have to, I have to give a shout out to where I first really heard the term. Uh, and I dedicated the, the book to uh, a professor of mine, a supervisor from graduate school at Florida State, uh, who passed here uh, a few years back, um, Dr. Sandy Kerr, um, who who told me one day in a you know, meeting in his office, it's just him and myself. And he said, Mitch, it's so important not to simply praise your patients. Uh, you really need to prize them. And when he said it and the way he said it, it was like a lightning bolt for me. It got me super curious as to what he meant by that. And the best way that he defined it for me was by being prizing of me and hmm. he you know like for example and I'll, I'll come back and define it a little bit more concretely in a second but just a quick anecdote like he he was so supportive of me throughout my grad school career and toward the end and he and I shared offices very close to one another he knew how badly I wanted to match with an internship in Boston he knew how competitive it was. Everybody wanted to do an internship in either Boston or New York or you know West Coast. And he knew it was a long shot uh, for me, but he knew how much I wanted it. He knew how hard I was working. And you know, he showed up at my office on the morning. He knew the morning I would find out. And he was the first person at my door that day. And I could feel him walking in behind me from my desk and I turned around and he's like, so have you heard? And I said, Sandy, I got Boston. And he just stood, he walked up close to me and he gave me a hug and he had tears in his eyes. Mm. He said, that is extraordinary. Mm. And, and in there are the, all the components of what I've gone on to, to consider to be the parts of prizing. He was intentional about it. He very intentionally showed up to that moment with me. And he wanted to let me know that the, uh, the pain that I had been experiencing, the effort that I had put in, not so much the thing that I wanted, but the fact that I was going after something. I had been through a lot of you know, angst around it. 
And in that moment, he very intentionally dropped in to that moment and let me know that it mattered to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's a very moving story that you just told. And um, apropos intention, it, I'm, I'm just kind of struck by his willingness, his intention to be moved by you, to feel you, and to even show that he could feel you in a, in yes. a tender way. Yes. But the part that stands out for me in the whole story is that, and he gave me a hug and had tears in his eyes. In other words, right. he has, was truly moved. Yes. By you. Is, is that part of prizing that sort of quality of shared experience? Yeah, I, I think, I think in, no matter who the adult is with a, if we're talking about it, and I was a kid at the time, I was 28, but believe me, I was a kid. And, you know, he was really showing up to a kid at a developmental uh, stage. But when an adult really shows up to prizing with a kid, there is there is deep intention. And and this is how it really differs from praise. You're, you know, what I consider to be praise as usual. Most praise of adults to a kid, it, it can have an element of do more of that, you know, outcome, do more of that behavior to get that outcome. So it has a sense of expectation outside of the moment that you're in with the kid, whereas prizing is the only real agenda for the adult for it to truly be a prizing move on the part of the adult is their agenda is connection with the experience of the child. Mm -hmm. And then, then there's a dropping of any agenda around the future or what the kid's going to do next. It's uh, as you you've heard me say before, Chris. It's it's like we do with little babies when we play peekaboo with them. We're not thinking about anything else other than engaging that mm -hmm. child. And I think that's a core difference between that and praise. Yeah, it also seems that uh, well, in the description you described, in the description you gave, um, there was also you know, compassion in the room. I wonder what the link is between prizing and compassion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, there's, a, there's an inherent aspect of compassion. In the book, I talk about the importance of uh, not just viewing prizing as something you're doing when kids are giving effort or they're trying or they're risking in an appropriate way. You know, prizing is appropriate when they're in pain emotionally. And on the surface of that pain may be a lot of crusty, not so niceness. There may be some, you know, disruptive or inappropriate behavior. And, you know, as I'm sure I'll talk about here in a little bit, it's not about you're going to be okay with any behavior and you're not going to have a, uh, you know, kind of discipline or management response. And yet the prizing move can be in there somewhere where you're letting them know compassionately, I see and I'm curious about what's behind that behavior. And there's an inherent compassion with it. You're like the word compassion with pain. I am with what is behind that behavior for you. I don't feel it the way you do. And yet I'm curious and I'm with it. I'm reminded of a story I once heard. Um, of a kid in elementary school who was 
uh, cheating. Um, he was looking over at his neighbor's uh, test and copying things down. And the teacher saw this. Were you there that day when I did this? <laughs> no, Celia, I did not do that. <laughs> and the teacher noticed this kid um, cheating and walked slowly up the aisle mm. and just looked at the child, looked at the students. Yes for a moment and then kept walking. And then 20 years later, this same person said, in that look, what I heard in my head was, you don't need to do this. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, it always stuck in my mind, this vignette stuck in my mind, but, now, as we're speaking, it, it's it's deeply compassionate and it's also deeply prizing, you know, seeing beneath the surface that actually who is there and what they're trying to accomplish. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think a big aspect of why this has grown for me, and it's kind of, as I said, somewhere toward the beginning of the book, you know, Prizing has kind of become the sum total of my treatment plan, particularly for yeah. kids. <laughs> Makes it easy in terms of doing notes and whatnot. Prizing, prizing. Um, you know, I, there, I've had many moments having this long uh, span of time where I've worked with kids with uh, pretty significant emotional behavior disorders. And there isn't necessarily on the surface a lot that looks praiseworthy, and yet there's a lot that's prizeworthy. Oh, happening, happening inside the kid mm. and you know one great example uh, that I don't, I don't know if I put this in a book I don't think so you know I had a kid in a therapy group who was you know high school age did not want to be there um and yet you know and in the sense he didn't want to talk about anything real and authentic that was hard for him and so in front of the other kids in group and he was a very powerful personality he would intentionally disrupt say very provocative stuff, get everybody derailed. And so it made me highly anxious as the group leader. And I can, I remember like seeing my schedule, I have that group coming up, ah, crap. You know, I have to deal with that group and that kid. And so I would pretty standardly just kick him out of the group room. And on this one particular day, I had an intern that was like my co-leader. I. I think I dropped in in a different way and allowed myself to feel the anxiety, which I think is a big part of the, the inner work for the parent or for the adult around prizing is that you drop into your own experience, bring mindfulness to bear to notice the charge, mm. but not just do the automatic habit of trying to get control of the kid or uh, you know, control what happens next. And I, I, I just sat with it for a minute and I looked at my co-leader and I said, I'm going to go talk to him. Mm. I need you. To, I need you to lead group for a minute. Mm. And so I went out in the hall and long story short, he didn't want to look at me. didn't want to talk. He's like, what, what? I didn't do anything. And I walked up to him and I said, I was like, dude, I need to say something to you. What? And I said, you've got a real power 
Hmm. And he's like, what do you mean power? You've got an incredible power when you say stuff. Hmm. Other kids pay attention and that is powerful. Hmm. He's like, so, and I said, I just, I think it's amazing. And, and then I leaned in really close to him. The thing is, you're crapping all over that power with how you're oh. doing it, with mm. how you're doing it in the room. Mm. I know it could be something completely other than that. You'll have to let me know whether you're curious about what I mean. And then just walked away. <laughs> and, and I did have more interaction with that kid. And he did try to show up to something different. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, there, it's not just about, you know, mm -hmm. praising kids up or building their self-esteem. I'm not mm -hmm. a I'm not a big proponent of that. And the research is mm -hmm. increasingly showing that's problematic for kids. So um, I know you mentioned in your book that prizing opens possibilities. It sounds like that interaction with that kid did that. Um, you were you know, seeing a strength, a resource, you were naming it. Um, you surely got his attention, but it, it seems without saying what those possibilities could be, or perhaps even knowing that it did create the possibility of new behavior. Can yes. you say something more about this whole domain of possibilities? Yeah. And also even a little more about what actually happened to the kid later on, if, if you know. Yeah, it wasn't like it was a that in and of itself was transformation that kid in various different ways from uh, from the time that I continued to intersect and continued to struggle in a lot of ways. You know what, what I've said to uh, people that I've supervised uh, that would get very doubtful and down about the really hard work that we were doing is that, you know, and this is where I do talk about this a lot in the book that so much about prizing is, again, showing up and letting go. Mm. And you're, you're planting seeds mm. of possibility. Mm. Mm. And the seeds have the most ability to be fertile or to grow into something if you're not trying to force it, if you're not trying to control the outcome, mm. there's something about the, the quality with which the, the kid experiences you as the mm. adult when you are letting go of controlling the next moment. Mm. You know, they can feel how much softer or authentic you are. They can, you know, the compassion has more weight. They don't feel an implicit but mm. in there. They mm. feel the and dot 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 hmm. and and i think you know you know with that particular kid i know he went on to struggle what i have seen happen with other kids that i knew more about what happened later is that you know due to my prizing efforts or and other prizing efforts you know, their inner narrative about themselves starts to change they start to notice that they aren't the things that had been conditioned into them previously yeah. That someone played peekaboo behind that and they, they started to believe that something else could be. Yeah. So as you're um, speaking, I'm, I'm thinking that there is a leap of faith that parents might need to have when they commit to 
to prizing. You know, in other words, it may not, it might seem more efficient to, you know, blame a kid. Yeah. <laughs> a kid or praise a kid more efficient. But it seems to me that prizing goes deeper and may take longer. As you were speaking, I was thinking of this wonderful phrase, uh, moving at the speed of trust. Oh, I love that. That prizing probably has its own momentum that moves at the speed of trust. That, that as a parent who's committed to seeing the child in a deeper way and validating, knowing the child and validating the child in a deeper way that there's a kind of uh, faith that that's how children grow, you know? Yeah. What, what, yeah, I love that. I love that quote. You know, it, it helps kids trust when you do say no. They can trust your nose because they know you've seen beyond mm. into them. Mm. You know, but there is a sense of faith. There is a leap here. And, and, and yet it is, it is very practical. I mean, I, I ask adults that are listening now or, you know, people reading the book, you know, you might consider that moment when you were young and someone showed up in mm. the way that I'm describing. Mm. Most people can remember some specific moments. Yeah. And while it may not have absolutely transformed everything, most people can readily drop in and remember someone that said, I see you. Yeah. And I think what it is in, in our lingo around mindfulness, uh, and I talk about this in the book, is you're basically pointing to an essential truth hmm. that my present moment experience is equivalent in the sense that I'm having it and so are you. Hmm. And I'm touching mine as I'm trying to point to yours. And that does something. It creates this hmm. highway of possibility between people that we don't normally do in everyday speech. We play you know, politeness games, or we do transactional stuff. But to really slow down enough to be intentional enough to come back to a kid and say, I see you. So <clears throat> I'm thinking that, um, I'm thinking what would enable a parent to have that trust. And it seems to me that prizing is in some respects its own reward. Because when parents lose trust, it's because they're afraid that the kid will, child will not turn out well. In other words, yeah. they're kind of futurizing a bit. And if as a parent, I'm stuck in that way of thinking, then, then everything that's happen that happens is sort of incomplete or lacking. Right. in terms of the goal, you know, like yeah, the child's not doing homework, which means you're not going to get into a good college and yes. the child is 10, you know? So then right. the, the parent, you know, kind of gets frightened and then has to say something. <clears throat> so what I'm thinking is, is that a moment of authentic connection probably is nourishing also to a parent yes. to the 
extent that in that moment, nothing more is needed. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That in yeah. fact enables a parent to be present when the parent makes a commitment to be present in this way. I, I think that's super important that when, when a parent is truly showing up to the, in the book, I kind of break it up that there's an internal piece of work to show up to a mindset, to show up to your own experience, and then intentionally reach out to the experience of the child. I, I think it does serve as its own reward. Nothing else in that moment is going to be that outcome isn't going to matter as much in that moment because yeah. it's that moment that is reinforcing yeah. you're truly having at least the possibility of yeah. connecting and and it and i think the other thing i i think of around this is that and i say this to parents a lot you know there's what we think we're teaching our kids and then there's when they see us showing up to owning our own truth mm. and being fully present. Mm. And even with, you know, mucky stuff that they see us showing up to stuckness, our own pain, and yet we are relating to it and we're even speaking it to them. I'm just, you know, this is, this mm. is really hard for me mm. and yet I'm okay. I'm working on it. Yeah. That, or when we mess up with our kids yeah, I, I have a whole section in the book on this. Like, why is it so hard for adults with kids or just adults in general to own when we're wrong, mm -hmm. to own our mistakes? And you can argue that evolutionarily, we risk rejection from the group and we wouldn't survive. And so we, we don't want to do that. And yet these days, you know, we still don't want to do it. <laughs> Some to a pathological extent that affects many. Yeah. And, and, and yet when I've seen someone authentically own air, own their experience and be able to have the courage to display it, I don't ever say, I don't, they're weak. I'm not going to trust them. And I yeah. think, I think when parents show up to their kids with that kind of prizing mindset, we're, we're giving them our highest teachings. Yeah. So, um, so that kind of brings up this whole idea of leadership. You know, parents sometimes are afraid they will lose their authority or something. But what actually, um, what actually inspires people to allow us to be leaders? You know, I think I, my sense is is that the quality people who who prize. Um, are people who others want to be leaders. In other words, these are the parents that children want to have, you know? Yeah. Um, but in that context, you know, <clears throat> we were talking about prizing as kind of a, um, uh, a variation or a distillation of mindfulness for parenting. Um, but it also seems to be, there's another element in mindfulness, the goodwill and the admiration and the awe and the, the is um, implicit. Yeah. Whereas in prizing, it seems that there is a willingness 
to see the good yeah. in another person. So not just seeing deeply, right. but seeing the good deeply. Yes. And I think that's a really important part of this. Yes. Yeah. Could you say something about that? It, it's willingness to speak to the essential goodness in every person, even if their behavior is bad, unskillful. Mm. That they, you know, and I've just seen this over and over again around kids, because all kids struggle with their behavior at some point. It, it's, you know, they and all of us as adults struggle with our behavior. Right. You know, those habits or those behaviors are self-protective mechanisms. And there's an inherent goodness in that. There's, you know, I, I like to say to kids I'm working with, there ain't nothing broken about your brain hmm. leading you to knee-jerk react. You're trying to protect yourself. Hmm. That means it's doing what it's supposed to do. Hmm. We just need to upgrade, you know, the hardware is fine. We need to up, upgrade the operating system so that it, there's some more skillful ways of doing the self-protection or it doesn't have the side effects. But I, there is an inherent goodness in prizing. There is a there is a faith that when you show up to that speaking to the kid's experience, they are going to be more able to drop into their experience. It's like uh, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid, as, as you know, and you know we'd make these council fires, and instead of going, you know, like we'd have them at night, the big bonfires sometimes, in a clearing. But instead of going out into the dark of the woods to corral everybody and force them to come in, prizing is the adult sitting down by the fire mm. and, and pointing to the kid over there at the fringe. I see you. Yeah. You want to come over here and sit with me? Mm. It's warm over here. It's inherently, it's inherently good for us to be in this equivalent space where both of our experiences mm. matter. Mm and and versus going over and wrangling mm. so and i think your a... your story about the kid whom you said ha has power where your words have power i think is a beautiful illustration of that it's uh you know seeing the good behind the disruptive behavior yeah and, and probably uh, something this child rarely experiences. It's probably confusing, you know, what? Yeah, well, and I, I say to parents, because you know, I do a lot of, in my practice, I do a lot of coaching and work with, with parents. And, you know, I was just saying to some parents last week, what we're aiming for here, because you know, it, is, it is hard to kind of show up to a new mindset and just kind of trust that it's going to lead to something when you've got stuff that you're dealing right. with with your kid. And I said, here's what we're looking for at this point. If you guys show up to this, you get that deer in the headlights pause when you really speak to them in this way. Mm. Mm. And that at this point is total success. No, that's that, the sign, yeah. <laughs> that kid does not know what to do with that. They don't have a script that says push pull with them. Yeah. And, and that means that you're, you just created some fertile ground to plop that seed in. Yeah, and, and in a moment of confusion, there's only new possibility, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so as you're talking about this, I'm also thinking that, you know, parents 
need to do a bit of work to get into the prizing frame of mind. You you talk about um, stretches rather than practices. Yeah. Could you say something about that? Yeah. So you know, I you know, you have to structure a book, and unless you're Jack Kerouac or something, and uh, you know, so I wanted to you know create a structure, and so I, I I took the analogy of like running a race, you know, on your mark, get set, go is like the the parts, uh, the sections of the book, and at the end of each chapter, I wanted to have exercises or practices, but I wanted to call them something meaningful and i'm a total like nerd in general but i'm a word nerd and so like word origins are kind of interesting to me so you know i took the word intention which i consider to be a crucial thing about prizing you know intention really on, on showing up on purpose to kids and so i looked up the origin of that word you know the latin root of it is intendere which translates uh, as to stretch toward. And I think it goes way beyond what most people think of when they think of you know, setting an intention. It's like the New Year's resolution that you never follow up on, right? Or that kind of flaccid goal. I intend to do that. You know, but in this sense, it's like these are stretches because you know, you're showing up to something where like in physical stretching for fitness, it ain't always comfortable. In fact, it can be really uncomfortable. And yet it's purposeful to stretch. And it's in a particular direction to create flexibility. And, and I was like, that, that's what I want to call these at the end of the chapters. These are stretches that, that parents can do. Um, they're not keys. It's not like it unlocks all the treasure, you know, the, you know, because the, the prize is not the outcome, right? The prize is not the trophy. The, the prize is that moment of connection, you know, with their experience. And then they're able to start showing up to meeting more of their own needs, doing the work of development. Yeah. So there's connection with their own experience, but then again, there is goodwill. And yeah. one thing we know is that when our inner, when our conversation with ourselves is harsh and critical when it has a tone of you know fingernails on a chalkboard or something you know when yeah um when our inner languaging is um harsh it's it's really hard to find language i i would imagine it's hard to find language that is prizing yeah. In fact, it's probably even hard to see beneath the surface, for example, of disruptive behavior if we can't see beneath the surface of our own behavior. In, in other That's words, right. what I'm saying is, it seems to me we actually have to touch our own goodness to see goodness in others, especially when it's not easy to see. Right, right. So I'm wondering, do you have in your book any uh, stretches, any inclinations toward which help a parent to see their own goodness? And I say this particularly because 
you know, parents are often are, are hard, hardly ever good enough, you know? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes parents, they just need to be at the point of collapse before they think I've, I've done everything I could as a parent and now I can sleep, you know? Right, right. It, it's a, there's, in other words, what is good enough parenting? So I think it's just endemic to parenting that, um, that parents are always trying to strive and improve themselves. So hence, they're going to try to strive and improve their child. And in all of this, there isn't very much self-prizing or seeing one's own goodness, which would then make it hard to prize and see the goodness of somebody else. Yeah. How can, what 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 can you offer in terms of stretches that would that might put put the parent on a more solid footing so this would be more prizing would be yeah. more natural yeah i i think it's super important for parents to and i have a practice in the book it's one of my go-to practices in general for people uh to really slow themselves down to yeah, it's a it's a body scanning practice, a brief mindfulness practice, and it's not it's not about the child. It's about noticing more deeply the charge that is showing up in oneself, and noticing what happens when you s soften your face intentionally, when you l lower and loosen your shoulders, and feel it when you do that, and when you oh pause and take the, the slow, deep inhale into the belly that you haven't been doing because you're dealing with a billion things as a parent. But this is a brief practice to anything that's more lengthy or tell, tell parents to go sit on the cushion for 30 minutes a day, you know, they're, they're not they're going to be like, yeah, fine. It's another should uh, that I won't show up to. Uh, but, oh, you know, open that belly, open the midsection with that slow, deep breath and feel it. And then W, like the, the plants that have been left out too long, not being watered, um, let your fingers wilt. And then soft face, lowered shoulders, one more, open the belly, wilt the fingers. And then just notice that because of your willingness to intentionally show up to that, have things shifted? Who did that? I, I, I did that despite the swirl of all of the, the crap of, of parenting. If I could do that with my charge in that moment, if I find ways to notice more, which is what mindfulness is all about, noticing much more fully what is in this moment and without all the judgment, without all that inner sergeant mind you know, screaming at us, then you start to notice, well, I can, there, there's this thing over here with my kid that I, I might be able to show up to, even though later I might lose it. Hmm. And this is where, by the way, I think self-compassion is crucial. Parents really need to catch how much burden they're feeling, understandably, and know that they are not alone. Their pain is real. And there are many parents feeling that exact experience of pain in that given moment and they can really wish that they and all the parents have some ease from that i mean that's self-compassion for the pain of parenting i imagine that also then enables parents to uh 
admit their errors from a position of strength rather than as a sign of um, unworthiness. Yeah. You know, can you say more about that ownership of errors? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's one of the things that I, I was dead set. I have to put stuff about this in there because um, it's so counter to our cultural conditioning to do that. And yet I've seen over and over again in my clinical work and in my own parenting that when there's a willingness like, you know, to take the, take the knee, take the one down stance and say, you know what? I really effed up. No, but no rationalization. And just in that moment, owning it, it just really matters to people. It, it, it really, it, it communicates an inherent, like your experience of pain that I may not have intended it. And I, and I, I think this is important. People focus way too much on whether kids did stuff on purpose or whether they'll apologize when they know they've done it on purpose. It doesn't matter whether it was intentional. It does matter if you intentionally, whether you did it on purpose or not, say, what I, I did something and it impacted you. And for that, I am sorry. Hmm. And, and, that, and then dropping into the silence and letting the kid have that experience after you deliver that, I think that's powerful. Hmm. Hmm. And it teaches kids accountability. It teaches hmm. them authenticity. And that's highest parenting. Mitch, are there different age groups for which it seems that prizing is good for all human beings all the time, you know, but um, in particular, um, are there different flavors to prizing um, that might be more relevant for different age groups? So in other words, like the first 12 years of life, it's a little different than the second 12, you know, the second 12 right. teens and so forth. And, and it seems to me especially important for adults to admit their errors to teens. Yeah. Maybe less important to younger kids. Do, do you have a feeling for how prizing might, how different elements of prizing might be more or less uh, helpful yeah. at different uh, ages in the developmental yeah. trajectory? I, I think it's a super cool question. And I, I would agree with you that teens developmentally are obviously in a very different place. They're looking to you know differentiate themselves from you as the parent, what my identity versus yours. Um, so owning when you have done something that violates their identity violates their independence as a burgeoning you know want to be adult um that that's going to really make that prizing move matter with a much younger child you know they have strong feelings and they're starting they're just starting to learn to understand the feelings that they have so admitting, you know, doing long rambles of, you know, prizing talk, you know, you're what I call truth talking in the book, that you're going to lose a lot of young kids. But if you get down at their level and 
do a lot of acknowledging the feelings that are in you and labeling them, letting them know how you're feeling it and I feel it in my body. And what are you, you know, when I did that, when I raised my voice, I wonder what that was like in your body, kiddo. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I should, I need to really not do that. I need to work mm -hmm. on that because that, that may not have felt good to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you don't have to be a developmental psychologist, but, you know, it, parents have a, you know, most parents have a good sense that their kids are in different stages and what is relatable to them. And the thing is, in this book, I'm not giving people scripts, you know, because then it's not, it's not authenticity, you know, like say this in this exact way. It's more a set of what I consider to be universal principles. Mm -hmm. Like, starting a campfire when I was a boy scout there are just things you your principles you have to show up to and like the campfire you can't control exactly when and how it'll spark you can just arrange the conditions and not force it and I and I think in, having a basic understanding of different types of wood and kindling and was like understanding the basic differences of kids and your kid versus other people's kids developmentally as your kid changes but you're going to be better at understanding that stuff if you're really building the mindfulness muscle, the general mindfulness muscle, noticing. Yeah. So as um, I am particularly interested these days in in shame. Yes. And uh, it does seem like prizing is a really an antidote to shame, particularly an antidote to shame proneness. Yeah. Um, um, but what's interesting about shame developmentally is children basically don't experience shame as we know it as a, as self-awareness in a social context till they're like two and a half or three years old. But um, children only by eight years old um, are able to identify shame in other people and uh, understand that under certain, under this condition and that condition, I or somebody else might feel shame. So shame is, you know, it's an emotion and there's a certain amount of emotional intelligence involved and there's a developmental trajectory for the yeah. understanding of shame. And it does seem to me that when we're prizing that there are, that um, to share one's own experience as a parent uh, might really start being, particularly powerful around age, you know, six, seven or eight, when kids are actually more aware and interested in the experience of others. Yes, and, yes. You know, so when you say, if you were to say something like, oh, you know, I, I misspoke and I know this hurt you and the reaction to me was thus you know I felt some shame about this or something yeah but that might be a more powerful statement for a slightly older child certainly for a teenager absolutely mm. and I, I, I think it is it it is an antidote to shame because my sense my understanding from my clinical work with folks around shame is that there's this deep uh often secret buying into a narrative of badness. I am inherently bad mm -hmm. as a person versus uh, 
And I know authors like Brene Brown have you know, talked about this a lot, the distinction between, you know, uh, guilt and, and shame, you know, guilt is around the behavior, shame is around me as a person, mm-hmm. and uh, inherently, and I, I think when adults are willing, particularly with the older kids, to speak their stuckness, their pain, their mistakes, it, it lets kids know you don't have to stay secret with it. Mm-hmm. You can speak it, to me, you can speak it to others and and they know what it felt like for them when you were willing to do that. Yeah. So then then they can, well, maybe I don't have to hold that in and let it fester. Yeah. Because isn't it true that parents, you know, really unwittingly do a lot of microaggressions, <laughs> which which get internalized. I, I never have as a parent. Never have. I've ne- you know, I've never <laughs> But they get internalized, and I can easily imagine that when a parent has the capacity to, you know, as you say, express equivalence, you know, in other words, your reality is as important and vivid and alive as mine, that when a parent can express that equivalence, that it also becomes like a buffer against internalizing any unwitting injuries that, you know, a parent might do toward a child in their less than best moments. Yeah, in that in that equivalence, you know, I talk about this in the book is that you're teaching kids by modeling it. Uh, and this is the, the chapter, and this is probably the most practical stuff in the book around what I call truth talking, mm. you know, the verbal act of prizing uh, with kids, you know, that uh, not only is your experience happening and so is theirs, therefore there's an equivalency there. It's undeniable. You know, there's so much like people calling fake news on other people's actual experience, Mm. which is basically like saying you did not have that experience that you just had. You did not think what you thought. You did not feel what you felt. You did not have the body sensations. You didn't have that emotion. It needs to have been this. And though we've seen that in dramatic form, I think as parents, we unwittingly do that at times. And there's a lot of research on this around, you know, you know, emotional uh, styles of parenting and, and, inadvertently giving messages of, of disapproval uh, or you shouldn't feel that. Yeah, invalidation. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that, that condition can go very deep without parents uh, intending it. So prizing, I see, is it gets that pus out. You know, yeah, and it's it's deeply, deeply validating, but also, again, in a, in a, in a, in a goodwill way, in a distinctly positive way we're not because let's face it we're all we're full of all a whole array of impulses some of which are regrettable and some not but with prizing we're actually validating naming validating and really empowering the good ones yeah that is ones that are going to promote well-being and decrease harm yeah Um, i know we don't have a lot of time left what i am curious about is why did you write this book now? In other words, <laughs> you, you, your mentor, Sandy Kerr, uh, was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so you've been clearly marinating in this for some time. I, I know you have kids as well, but yeah. 
Um, why now? Yeah. Well, it should have been a little earlier than now, uh, but I got, uh, as my editor Beth well knows, I got a little uh, more than a little behind in the writing of it. And, you know, I, I think I really got focused on wanting to render this, do something around this word that I had been teaching about and talking about and bringing into the clinical supervision I was doing and bringing into most uh, clinical work I was doing. And I just, I wanted to really start stitching it together because it has mattered so much in my own development when various people, my parents, you know, Scoutmaster that I talk about in the book, you know, Sandy, you, you know, you know, others that have said, I, you know, through, through speech and action, uh, you know, it's just mattered so much that I, I view it as something that the, the world sorely needs right now as we see growing polarization and separation and uh, a lot of kids are, that I talk to are severely disenchanted with adults and leaders. I had a kid that I was meeting with within the past week who I all I said at the beginning of the only like session four, um, you know, all I said was, that, you know, I, I heard from your parent that you had done some of the homework that, you know, that you needed to get done. And that's all I said. And he goes, so you're doing that therapist thing where you talk to my parent and now you're praising me for it to try and get me to do it more. <laughs> and I, you know, these are the moments, right? As a clinician, you're at a crossroads. What are you going to do? And, and I, I, I think we're at these moments and in, in these crossroads as parents as well. If we do the knee jerk, if we, that is often what the self-protective habits or our ego would do. But if we pause and we feel and we notice, we give ourselves a chance of prizing. And so I, I did, I don't always, even though I write about this, I don't always, my kids can attest, I don't always. Um, but this time I think I did. And I looked at him, it was on Zoom, and I'm like, so let me be clear with you. I really don't give a damn if you do your homework or not. I give a damn about what matters to you. And, and, and I think what I saw in the rest of that interaction is that there was a, from him, there mm -hmm. was a bit more, more of, a, of an opening and a little bit more affect and a little bit more engagement. You know, is it a good thing for him to do his homework in the game of going to high school? Arguably. And yet adults, his parents and others trying to make him do it. How's that going to play out? versus when he is seen for what matters to him and the pain points that might be in there and mm -hmm. someone's curious enough to hang out with it and not just do reflective listening oh that sounds really hard you know and it, i don't that's not prizing it, it it is i'm here and i'm gonna get really quiet at times i'm gonna be willing to hang out i'm gonna own some air i'm also gonna compassionately dope slap you sometimes and, and I think it's all coming from that same intention. 
so that kids uh, have a chance of showing up to their own kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, okay, I was kind of stuck. Maybe I want to move. I want to move. I feel like I want to move now. Hmm. Yeah. So I have to say in this last hour, first of all, I got to even your book is beautifully written. So I had a very good feeling for uh, prizing, but after speaking with you, it's, it's really landed in, in a, uh, in a whole uh, new way. Um, in part, because I've had the privilege of talking with you about this. So first of all, I'm really grateful for this conversation. I'm also gr grateful, frankly, that you waited 20 years uh, to talk about this because it's clearly embodied. Mm. And it is, it is, you know, very much a part of you. Mm. Uh, I do know that your 10 year old daughter is on this call. So uh, she would be actually a better judge of what I'm <laughs> saying than, than I, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't speak for her. I can only speak for myself. Well no she'll speak for herself later yes <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow I do, want, I do want to thank you for for really sharing so gener generously in the book and also in this conversation and and i for one am i'm le leaving feeling much uh very nourished and and, and richer and i'm gonna you gave you gave me a lot to think about and i hope that's uh, the case also for, for other listeners I, you know. thank you for all of that. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned, more episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.